After leading the Seahawks to a surprise playoff berth and making his first career Pro Bowl, Geno Smith is set to hit the free agent market, and the Seahawks have to decide whether they're going to be bringing him back at a much higher price point. The big question, can Geno Smith lead the Seattle Seahawks to a Super Bowl? Rob Rang and I are going to be discussing and debating here on our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Joining me for our Tuesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Pennsylvania, Texas, or Mexico. We appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first lesson five days a week. The Seahawks have several big questions to answer this offseason, but none more pressing than what they're going to decide to do at the quarterback position, in particular with Geno Smith. Can he lead the Seahawks to a Super Bowl? We're going to be discussing and debating, plus handing out our end-of-season off-season or end-of-season awards on the offensive side of the football. And we'll be taking a look at the receiving group, handing out some grades for the receivers from the 2022 season. Jam-packed episode coming your way that is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on today to get started. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks have a number of pressing questions that they have to answer this offseason as they look to take the next step from just being a fringe playoff team to being a Super Bowl contender. But none of those questions are as big of a deal as figuring out what they're going to do at the quarterback position in particular with Geno Smith, who's coming off a Pro Bowl season, 30 touchdown passes, just the third quarterback in Seahawks history to do that in a single season, a phenomenal resurrection season. For Geno Smith heading into free agency and all signs are pointing to the Seahawks doing everything they can to re-sign him but I think when you look at this decision for the Seahawks Rob really what it boils down to we know what Geno Smith did last season how good he was most of the year leading the Seahawks to the playoffs but from a long-term perspective especially with him being a 32 year old veteran quarterback that hasn't played a lot of starts in the NFL you have to think about the essential question here when you're thinking about whether you're going to pay a lot of money, a long-term deal potentially for Geno Smith, is he the one that is going to be able to get you back to the Super Bowl? And that's really the question that Pete Carroll and John Schneider have to be able to answer here when they determine what they're going to do at quarterback. Hey, it really is. I think that is so beautifully put, Corbett. I mean, that's really the conversation here. And that is one of the things that Seahawks fans have to kind of check themselves sometimes because I think there's a lot of people out there who say, oh, just, you know, get, draft yourself a rookie, bring in somebody else, get yourself a brand new head coach. Like, are you kidding me? I mean, have you seen the number of playoff opportunities the Seahawks have had since Pete Carroll and John Schneider joined in with the Seahawks? Have you seen what they've been able to do? Obviously with Russell Wilson, but obviously with Tavares Jackson, as well as here now with Geno Smith. But that's the question is, can Geno Smith not just get you to the playoffs? Can he actually win you the Super Bowl? When you're having the conversations the Seahawks fans should be having with themselves, given the fact that they've gone to the playoffs so many times over this 
you know, this era of Seahawk football, can Geno Smith actually win you that big football game? If he was to insert himself into these playoffs right now, and you're going against the guys like Patrick Mahomes or, you know, Joe Burrow or whatever the case may be, then could he win these big games? That's the conversation that the Seahawks have to have with themselves once they decide they're going to be, you know, allocating this type of money. So to me, this is really a fascinating conversation because Corbett, when I watch, you know, Smith, I see a guy who had a phenomenal season. I think that there's no question that you could make an argument that this is his first season in this system with this current group of players as the starter in Seattle. It just makes sense that you are going to be able to make strides in your second year in this system with these current players. But is that necessarily the case when you're 32 years old, when the NFL has an opportunity to kind of maybe even catch up with you in your second season? I think you could make an argument that Geno Smith, instead of ascending, might descend in his second season. So to me, again, this is really where the conversation is going to lie. You were very astute in picking Geno Smith to win the quarterback battle, beat out Drew Locke, and and push the Seahawks to a great deal of success. I thought that Drew Locke was going to wind up being the starter. So from the get-go, I'm a little bit lower on Geno Smith than you may be. And that's where I'm going to start off here, is I just did not see enough this season to emphatically believe that Geno Smith is the quarterback who can lead the Seahawks to a Super Bowl. I do think that he can lead the team to the playoffs, And there's a lot of reasons out there to suggest that he could do even more than that. But for everybody who is watching on YouTube, you can see the different reasons why I have some questions about him. He is turnover prone at times. He was very successful this year, but also he was incredibly aggressive at times. I I do think that there is a chance that he is going to kind of regress here then obviously there's going to be a limited amount of assets that you can dedicate to the other position. So to me, Corbin, really was this, what this comes down to is I think if the Seahawks want to get back to the playoffs, bringing back Geno Smith makes a lot of sense. You want to win a Super Bowl? Then I do think that you have to consider the possibility that there could be another quarterback out there other than number seven who might be the guy that you need if you want to win another Lombardi trophy. And I think that's about where we'll draw the line as far as where you and I are going to agree. Because if the Seahawks are not fully sold on him being the guy that can get them to that next level where they are competing for a Super Bowl championship, then you do have to go back to the drawing board, especially when you have the number five pick. You may not have another opportunity in the next couple of years to pick this high in the draft because of how well Geno Smith played this year. If he's getting into the playoffs, you're not going to be picking fifth overall. But is he going to be able to ascend to that level where he's going to get this football team to a Super Bowl? I'm leaning more towards answering this emphatically with a yes, though, because I saw enough from Geno Smith this year. And you shouldn't be surprised by this response based on the way that I've reacted to the way Geno's played this year. But you had your list. I've got mine as far as why I believe that Geno can lead the Seahawks team to a Super Bowl. He is seasoned in this system. And as you mentioned, really, last year was his first year playing extensive snaps for Shane Waldron. So he has room to grow. Even though he's only 32, he's really played three NFL seasons. He doesn't have a lot of starts under his belt. He's a strong leader. And probably the two biggest reasons why I think Geno can be a quarterback that can take another big step forward next year. You look at the numbers throwing the football downfield. I think a lot of people thought Russell Wilson 
leaving, that the Seahawks are going to have a hard time getting the ball downfield. Geno Smith was the best deep ball thrower in the NFL this year. 14 touchdowns of 20-plus yards through the air. He only had two interceptions, and one of them was against the Falcons on really what was our prayer throw, and I don't really count that one against him. One interception on deep balls this year. He led the NFL in big-time throws on pro football focus, a quarterback rating over 120 on deep throws, and we know that he led the NFL in accuracy at almost 70% this season. And even when he was struggling with the turnovers that you mentioned, I'm going to throw this out there. Four of the five worst-graded games for the offensive line in pass protection this year happened in the last eight games, and three of them were in a row when they played against the 49ers, Chiefs, and the Jets, three teams that have really good pass rushers. And so Geno Smith, those numbers to me are more indicative indicative of what was going on with the pass protection in front of him. And when he had time to throw, as he did in that playoff game, he was able to lead some touchdown drives against the best defense in the NFL. So I am still of the belief when you add in all those things, the underrated mobility as well, a guy that can move, scramble, and pick up yards running the football when he needs to. You can run a few design runs with him. You add all those things together. And the fact that Seattle's got four picks in the top 60 to continue filling this roster out with young blue chip talent. They may have a little bit extra cap space to work with if they move on for a few older players. They can sprinkle in a couple other difference makers. That's all it's going to take to get this team to the next level as far as I'm concerned. I think the quarterback situation is more than good enough. Now it's going to boil down to John Schneider and Pete Carroll with some limitations, obviously, if they're going to have to pay him $30 million plus per year on a new contract. You know, they had to pay $26 million to Russell Wilson this year. So it's not really going to be that big of a difference compared to this season with that contract on there. You can still go out and improve your roster, and I believe they do that. You sprinkle in a few of these positions we talked about, like adding a game record defensive tackle, and I believe they can absolutely do that while paying Geno Smith, then you can get to that next level. Now, he's going to have to hold up the end of the bargain, but I have more confidence, I guess, than you do that he's going to be able to do that. And I think that's the big storyline here, and it'll be very telling if the Seahawks decide to let him hit the market. That will be telling maybe where they stand on this question on whether or not Geno can be the guy that can get them not just to the playoffs, but to the Super Bowl. And to me, it is the most important question for the front office to answer as they try to figure out his future with the team, their future at the quarterback position going towards the 2023 season. Coming up next, we're going to dish out our end-of-season awards on the offensive side of the football. MVP, top skill player, top rookie, and many other awards. We're going to dive into those coming up next on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are here. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America in FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash Locked On. FanDuel has all of your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, you can eat bets for your payout in-game. 
If you're looking at this upcoming championship weekend for me, I'm really liking the chances of the Bengals being able to pull off this upset at plus 1.5. You can be like me and maybe take a bet on that. All you got to do is go to the app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets. Win or lose at fanduel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You're listening to our Tuesday edition of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a thanks to all the 12s out there, whether this is your first time checking out our podcast or you are a regular listener, we greatly appreciate you. Making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Don't forget for your second listen to check out the Locked On NFL podcast to get your daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories in-depth analysis of the biggest games with NFL key predictions every Friday and on Monday local insiders cover the weekend with game to game episodes locked on NFL is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast now that we are now a little bit over a week beyond the end of the season for the Seahawks we've had several of our listeners wondering when is it going to be awards time and sure enough today we are finally going to get to it looking at the offensive side of the football our end-of-season award winners. And so let's get to it, Rob. Normally, you and I are on a little different page with most of these awards, but after that first segment, I think it's pretty obvious who the offensive MVP for this playoff-bound Seahawks team was. Yeah, sure. I'm not so sure that he's going to lead the Seahawks to a Super Bowl victory anytime soon. But yeah, (laughs) I I absolutely am willing to acknowledge that the MVP, at least on the offensive side of the ball, and arguably for the entire team, was no question about it was Geno Smith. I mean, he was absolutely spectacular this year, Corbin. And, and you know, again, to kind of go back to the conversation that we had in the first quarter, I'm not so sure that Seattle should be willing to dedicate 30 plus million dollars to Geno Smith based on what he did this past season. But I think you at least have to have that conversation based on what he did this past season because he was spectacular. He was a pro bowler and some of us didn't even think he was going to start for the Seahawks this season. So there's no question. I mean, he the, the Seahawks made the playoffs because Geno Smith shocked many of us and became a pro bowl quarterback. So I I don't think that you can make an argument, at least I cannot, that anybody else could realistically be construed as the MVP of the Seahawks on offense. Give a great deal of credit to DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, the running backs, but Geno Smith was spectacular this season. Give the man his credit. He deserves it. Yeah. You look at the major passing statistics, passer rating, passing yards, touchdowns. He finished fourth in the NFL with 30 touchdown passes. He's in the top five. He's in the top five for passer rating. He's number one for completion percentage. And I know there were more turnovers in the second half of the season, but he still only threw 11 interceptions on the year. That's still a very solid number in 17 games in today's pass-happy NFL. And the Seahawks were a pretty pass-happy football team for large chunks of this season, sometimes out of necessity, and yet Geno Smith was able to take that burden, and he had 12 games with two or more passing touchdowns that tied with Patrick Mahomes for the most in the NFL. So this was not an example where fans were just chipping in 
to get him to the Pro Bowl, and it was a feel-good story. Like, he was more than a feel-good story. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL this year. And so, again, that's why I think he can be a guy that can lead you to a Super Bowl if you add a few more pieces around him and you pay him the money that he certainly earned this year. I think we can both agree, though, the Seahawks team would have had a hard time winning four or five games this year if they didn't have Geno Smith playing at the level that he did at the quarterback position in 2022. All right, let's get to our next one here. The MVP award is basically a quarterback-driven award. Everybody knows that. But there's a lot of other really good players on this offense at the skill positions that deserve some love. And so we're going to get a top skill player award this one certainly isn't going to be going to Gino. These are the guys that Gino was getting the football to, and there's several worthy candidates for this one. Rob, which direction are you leaning? Well, for me, I got to go back to number 14 and DK Metcalf. I, I, I just see a guy who was able to physically take over football games at times. Um, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, kind of, tell you what I'm going to be talking about here in a little bit later, but I thought that he had one of the more spectacular performances of Seattle's season. Um, you know, I, I certainly wish that we would see a little bit more emotional uh, kind of consistency from DK Metcalf. Um, but at the same time, I think that he is maturing into that player. I, you, you just mentioned the playoffs as kind of a argument in your Geno Smith conversation I, i'm going to use the playoff performance that dk metcalf had against the san francisco 49ers as evidence of what he could be and again we're talking about the most physically imposing most physically dominant wide receiver and perhaps all of the nfl so i definitely think that if we are going to highlight somebody else from seattle's offense had Tyler Lockett had an incredible entire season had rashad penny or uh you know Anybody, frankly, Kenneth Walker the third, Kobe Parkinson, had any of them had the consistent season uh, of dominance, then I would be certainly happy to acknowledge them. But the peaks of DK Metcalf's season are so high that I think that you have to kind of overlook some of the valleys of his season as well. Some of the some of the penalties, some of the missed uh, or some of the drops. But DK Metcalf is so gifted. And I think his upside is so high that I do have to kind of acknowledge what he was able to bring to the Seahawks and be pretty excited about what he might be able to bring them, hopefully with Geno Smith as well, in the future. And you talk about consistency. That's why I'm not picking DK Metcalf for this one, because he had seven games below 40 receiving yards this year. You want to talk about consistency. Tyler Lockett set a new franchise record with six consecutive games with a receiving touchdown this year. And he now has four straight years with a thousand receiving yards or more. There's only one other player in Seahawks history that's done that. And he has a gold jacket, Steve Largent. So you want to talk about consistency. Tyler Lockett is consistency and he's durability. He's toughness. We saw him come back from hand surgery after missing just one game. And then he has a huge touchdown catch in their season finale against the Rams. Just one of those Typical catches that he makes that a lot of other receivers in the NFL can't make where he shows off the incredible body control and footwork to stay in bounds, look the football over like Willie Mays. He might not know who Willie Mays is. He told us that in a press conference a couple of years ago, but he plays the game of football like Willie Mays, reeling in those rainbow throws. And so he had more touchdowns, very similar yardage, more than 80 receptions again. Nothing against DK Metcalf because he had another very good season. But to me, Tyler Lockett was the more consistent of the two. 
And he put more points on the board this season, set some historic marks in franchise history. So he is my pick on that one. Let's go to the trenches because this is where nobody gives a lot of love. The offensive line, our top lineman this year. You actually have a pick that somewhat surprised me. Yeah, it surprised me too because I did not anticipate that I'd be voting for Charles Cross at the end of the season. You know, again, I was one of those who kind of questioned Seattle's decision um, in, in the early first round with the selection of Charles Cross. I had real reservations uh, about a player who had played in that air raid offense. And would he be able to put his hand in the ground and really be able to come off the ball at the three point stance, be able to move some people? I just kind of thought, hey, this is the Seahawks team that wants to run the football, and Charles Cross did not do a lot of that at Mississippi State. But the pass protection, especially considering he's a rookie, the pass protection at the left tackle position, considering the pass rushers that Seattle faced this season, was borderline spectacular. It was, like Tyler Lockett, pretty darn consistent all season long. There wasn't those peaks and valleys that I mentioned before with DK Metcalf. There was a little bit of that in the running game, but that was to be expected. I thought there was as many, at least, peaks and valleys among the rest of Seattle's offensive line. So again, just as I did here with Geno Smith a moment ago, I have to kind of swallow my own pride a little bit and just watch the tape. Geno Smith was the MVP of the Seahawks on offense. Charles Cross was their best offensive lineman, at least in my opinion, all season long. And I may surprise some of our listeners a little bit with my selection too, although if you have read my work on all Seahawks through the Sports Illustrated Network, you probably know that this player has been in my top five graded players a few games this year. With all the issues that the Seahawks have had in their interior offensive line, I think the most consistent lineman for them this season was Damian Lewis. And pro football focus, we don't agree on everything, but they agreed with me on this. They had him as the 15th ranked guard in the NFL. That's a pretty solid ranking when you're considering it's both left and right guards. I think he was their most consistent run blocker this season. That shouldn't be surprising given his background coming from LSU and just his strengths in, in general, his ability to get after it, push people off the line of scrimmage. That's something that some of Seattle's linemen have a difficulty doing. That is not an issue for Damian Lewis. And oh, by the way, he only gave up three sacks this year. He cut his penalties down to four. We know how big of an issue that was a couple of years ago, his rookie season, when I believe he had 13 of them. And so I think we quietly have seen Damian Lewis take a solid step forward after having injuries this sophomore season. And I think that that was overshadowed by the fact that Gabe Jackson had so many issues at right guard. and Phil Haynes didn't quite live up to what you and I thought he was going to play like this year. And Austin Blythe, decent pass protection, major issues in run blocking. I think it overshadowed what Damian Lewis did this year. He might not be flashy, but you look at the numbers, you look at the film, and I think he was the most consistent lineman for the Seahawks this year. Now let's talk rookies here real quick. And obviously there is a Seahawks offensive rookie that has a chance to win the AP Rookie of the Year and was picked to the Pro Football Writers Association all-rookie team. I'm assuming that's the direction you're going for this pick, but I may surprise some people with mine. Yeah, again, I, I would at least acknowledge Charles Cross and what I just kind of you know mentioned a moment ago, but I think you got to go with Ken Walker III. I mean, just what, what he has been able to provide the Seahawks. Obviously, Seattle started the season with Rashad Benny as their primary running back, and he was very successful as well. And I always struggle 
when you take a player in the same system that puts up similar success and acknowledge him. That's one of the things I see people make a mistake with in college football rankings and projecting them to the NFL all the time. But I think that Ken Walker played such a different style of ball than Rashad Penny that I've got to acknowledge him here. Again, I just acknowledged a moment ago, Charles Cross. I think that Abraham Lucas has had a very impressive season for the Seahawks as well. But you said you took the words right out of my mouth, buddy. I mean, Ken Walker III is a guy that actually might get NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. So I think that would be remiss in not mentioning K-9 for this Seahawks rookie. And I'm going to go with Abraham Lucas, not Charles Cross, because I've been saying all year, and I know Pro Football Focus charged him with nine sacks given up this year. And you might look at that number and be like, ooh, that's a rough season. But if you go back and you look at the film, Abe Lucas was just a different animal in the run game than Charles Cross was. And that really wasn't that surprising. I thought Lucas was better suited to be able to hit the ground running right away as a run blocker. We saw the pancakes early in the season. Then he had a knee issue that he was battling for several weeks, and it cost him a game late in the second half of the season. Sitting out that game, though, he came back healthy. And look at how he finished the season. What a performance that he had in that playoff game going against Nick Bosa and the rest of the 49ers, fearsome pass rushers. He had a fantastic game. He was really good against the Rams the week before. So just getting him back healthy most of the season, I thought that he was right there with Damian Lewis as their second best run blocker on this offensive line. And I thought away from two or three really tough games and a couple of them were when he was hurt. I thought he was really good in pass protection, too, when you consider some of the players that he had to go against. And so I'm going to give Abe Lucas some love here. I just think he had a really good rookie season. And offensive linemen never win rookie of the year. So let's give the boys in the trenches a little bit of love here. And for our last one here, most improved, I'm just going to be honest, Rob. Some of our listeners are going to think I'm cheating. But, I mean, how can you not pick Geno Smith for this one? I mean, he spent seven years in quarterback purgatory And like he said, after the 49ers lost a playoff game about wanting to come back to Seattle, like he could have easily been out of the league in the last couple of years. He might not have even been on a roster, and yet here he is as a Pro Bowl quarterback. I mean, that kind of a leap, a seven-year backup to a Pro Bowl, a legitimate Pro Bowl quarterback is almost unheard of. Rich Gannon's the only other player that ever did that in year 10 or later, get to their first Pro Bowl. And so we have to acknowledge the improvements that number seven made. And I know that there are a couple other players on this offense that deserve some love as well. Yeah, that's the thing, is I am, am certainly willing to acknowledge what Geno Smith did this season. But frankly, we had not seen a lot from Geno Smith in the Seahawks uniform because of course Russell Wilson played so well so I would actually shift the attention to the tight end position where I was intrigued by what Noah Fant showed in his first season in Seattle and definitely Kobe Parkinson I mean this this was a player that you know was was drafted and there was a lot of people out there who were really excited about him myself being one of them but many others as well because you're talking about a guy who played the wide receiver position for Stanford at times and for his height his ball skills and the strength that he gained, the weight that he gained over his time in Seattle, he became a much better run blocker as well. So if I was to take this award, most improved, and really focus in on the definition of most improved, 
considering the level of which Kobe Parkinson was previously in his Seahawks career and what he attained in 2022, I think that that player has to be Kobe Parkinson. Again, Geno Smith is absolutely spectacular, but we just didn't get an opportunity to see him play much past August for the Seahawks. So I just feel like there wasn't really much of a baseline for him. Again, as I said before, Geno Smith was my MVP for the Seahawks. So he would be the best player, in my opinion, for the Seahawks. But in terms of improvement over their Seahawks career, to me, that would be Kobe Parkinson. Parkinson was number two on my list. So I'm certainly not going to argue with you on that one. He had a really nice breakthrough third season, and it was nice to see him finally stay healthy from week one all the way to the start of the playoffs. And it feels like they've just scratched the surface on what he can do in this offense with his height, his speed, his catch radius. Should have more opportunities in the final year of his rookie contract next year. Has a chance maybe to be one of their breakout players in 2023, especially if Geno Smith is back in the fold. He seems to like throwing to his tight ends. All right, let's shift gears now here on our Tuesday episode to our postseason, end of the season report card. I covered the safeties late last week. Unfortunately, Rob, that was an episode that you were not on, gave the safety group a B plus, and you and I were discussing the receiving group. And it's fitting. We've already talked some about Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf in this episode. But once again, 2,000-yard seasons at the receiver position. They had only had that happen in Seahawks history two other times. One of them was already Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. So, They now own two of those three seasons in Seahawks history. And so that really is the number one thing that went right. And when your top two players at the receiving position go over a thousand yards, I think at minimum, you got to give the group a B plus. Yeah, I agree. I think you could argue that at minimum, you got to give them an A. Um, I just think that Seattle's number three, four, five, six wide receivers maybe were not quite to that high, and therefore the GPA drops a little bit. Those of you who are watching on YouTube can already see the grade that we combined gave Seattle's wide receivers at a B plus, and I feel really good about that grade, Corbin, because again, I think that when you have two wide receivers who are as dynamic as Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are in such different ways, then it gives Seattle an awful lot of flexibility on the offensive side of the ball. I just wish that there was a third or fourth wide receiver who were was able to provide some type of consistent production. You saw flashes of it, um, but the fact that you saw flashes of it in week 16 and 17 with guys who were basically late round draft picks or undrafted free agents after previously, you know, kind of being really excited about guys who were much more celebrated players, like the former second round pick in D Eskridge, like a former Olympian caliber athlete in Marquise Goodwin, and to drop all the way down to guys like Derek Young and Kay Johnson. I mean, that to me is the pro- is the question here. And that's why as good as I think the Seahawks top two wide receivers are, and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, again, A caliber performers, arguably even A plus caliber performers, if we just get DK Metcalf to just be a little bit more consistent and just plucking the football. I think that you have to drop the grade down a little bit down to that B plus range because again, Seattle's drop off from one and two to three and four and everybody else is as big as it is. So therefore that's why I think that the Seahawks have a B plus at this point. I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do moving forward. They have an awful lot of receivers who are already signed for 2023, 
but two important receivers in terms of what they brought to the offense as well as what they brought to the special teams in terms of Goodwin and Penny Hart as well. Both of them are unrestricted free agents, so there is a possibility that Seattle might look to try to build up build up the GPA, build up the receiving core a little bit for 2020-2023. I think it is notable to look at what Marquise Goodwin did when he was healthy this year because I felt like that was the best number three target that the Seahawks have had at the receiver position for several seasons because that has been such a looming issue for this offense. DK and Tyler are going to put up their big numbers, but who's going to be the number three guy? And I think that's one of the things that really, really went right this year until Goodwin unfortunately got hurt late in the season and went on injured reserve. But you got 27 catches, 387 yards, and four touchdowns out of Marquise Goodwin. Those are pretty good numbers for a number four or number three receiver. Those are pretty good numbers there. And the special teams contributions, you mentioned Penny Hart. I want to throw Derek Young's name out here because how many times this season did we see Derek Young, number 83, flying down the field in punt and kick coverage and either making the tackle or pinning a punt inside the five-yard line? He had to become Michael Dixon's best friend because there were at least two or three times this year where Derek Young was the one using that 4-4 speed that got down there and downed the football inside the five-yard line. That is not near as easy as what some of these players make it look like because you got to get down there the timing got to be able to stay in front of the goal line and sometimes you got to try to bat it past the goal line it it takes a lot of athleticism and there's really a skill to that and seeing the contributions they got from their secondary receivers on special teams you even mentioned guys like Kate Johnson uh, stepping up in the last couple games of the regular season as well as the playoff game and making some clutch first down receptions too So, yeah, they need a number three receiver upgrade. That continues to be a goal for this football team. But it does feel like with the players they had healthy that they actually were a little bit better from a depth standpoint, not just catching the football, but also on special teams. Of course, it could have potentially been better if a certain player wouldn't have gotten hurt again. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that went wrong this season is we again had to see another wasted season from second round pick D Eskridge in large part because he couldn't stay on the field. That's why I have a really difficult time in suggesting that the Seahawks should get anything higher than a B plus at the wide receiver position, considering the fact that the guy that they selected to be their number three wide receiver really has struggled so far. And I, I, I hate to use the word bust. That's why I won't do it with D. Eskridge because we have another two years of his contract where he is going to get this opportunity to prove that he is not a bust. There was an awful lot of people who were calling Rashad Penny a bust just a couple of years ago, but there is no question about it. If the Seahawks want to be able to get that A from the wide receiver position, if Geno Smith is not good enough on his own to be that Super Bowl caliber quarterback, and damn it, it's not that complicated. Just add a couple of more weapons around him, and you just drafted one of them. Those of you watching on YouTube can see him. He's number one. He's right there in the middle of your screen, and he has dynamic athleticism. 
he is the type of guy who can make people miss and can create some of those big plays that Tyler Lockett, as reliable of a route runner and a pass catcher as he is, he is not a guy who at this stage of his career is going to make a lot of plays after the catch. That's exactly what D. Eskridge was drafted to be such. So that to me is really one of the fascinating conversations that we're going to have throughout the offseason, Corbin, along with Geno Smith and what Seattle decides to do with that spot. With all of these draft picks, the Seahawks are in position to potentially get themselves another wide receiver. I don't think that they necessarily have to do that. I don't think they have to put their scouting hat on to try and find another wide receiver. I think they have to put their coaching hat on and coach up number one, D, or excuse me, uh, D. Eskridge, the receiver selected a couple of years ago, that they got to get going a little bit if they want this receiver class, uh, this receiver group, excuse me, for the Seahawks to wind up exceeding or at least matching the expectations the Seahawks fans should and do have for them moving forward. Yeah, and Pete Carroll has said it already in his postseason press conference that they're still holding out hope that D. Eskridge is going to be an impact player because we've seen the flashes at times in games when he's been healthy. The problem has been that he has missed so many games his first two seasons, and it is similar to Rashad Penny, although in a sense, Rashad Penny, I felt like I saw a lot more of the game-changing plays from him when he was healthy. We've seen a couple games where that is maybe flashed a little bit from D. Eskridge, but I mean, the, the kid had seven catches for 58 yards this year. That is not going to cut it for any NFL receiver, let alone somebody you drafted a couple years ago in the second that's round yeah. and you had really high expectations for. And so I, I do think that's the biggest thing when you look at this team, why it can't be an A minus or an A, even though the top two receivers were once again, dynamite and Marquise Goodwin did a really nice job as the number three receiver. When he was healthy, he had his own injury issues throughout the season you didn't have Eskridge out there for more than half the season. You were playing Laquan Treadwell, Penny Hart a little bit, and then they ended up getting benched in favor of Kate Johnson, who was on the practice squad all year late in the season. And Kate Johnson was more productive than either one of those players were on offense in a couple of games. You can look at that as a positive, but at the same time, you had to play these veterans that weren't able to contribute and chip in. And it really tells you how steep of a drop-off that there is on the depth chart from those top two players to everybody else the Seahawks are throwing out a receiver when you don't have D. Eskridge. And I think you already threw the big question. We're looking at the future prognosis of this team. There's a couple others that stand out to me when I look at this receiving group. You mentioned the poise for D.K. Metcalf. That's number one on my list here. Can calmer heads prevail for D.K. Metcalf? You have eight penalties, two unsportsmanlike conduct. Probably should have been three. He should have got nailed in that Rams game when he went after Jalen Ramsey. He had a taunting penalty, seven games under 40 yards receiving. Some of that's, you know, going against Sauce Gardner's of the world. You're going to have games where you're just silenced a little bit. But I think the bigger issue is that he takes himself out of the game to an extent by getting overly emotional. And, and I want him to keep the fire because he is a great player when he plays with that fire. The problem is you can't let the fire get out of control and burn the entire forest down. And sometimes that's what happens with DK Metcalf. And so he's got to get the cooler heads have got to prevail for him. If he can do that, I think you're going to see him be a much more consistent player. And we're talking a 13, 1400 yard receiver. I think it's that big of a difference if he can just play with more composure on the field. 
Yeah, and you just used a, a nice analogy there. You don't want to burn down the whole forest. I'll, I'll try and use a, a similar analogy. You know, DK Metcalf, of course, famously wears a binky, uh, you know, as kind of a mouthpiece when he's out there. I, I want to see him play with a little bit more maturity. I want to see that binky that's usually reserved for toddlers become, I don't know, maybe a driver's license, uh, uh, just a little bit more maturity from him. I want to see him develop a little bit more consistency and a little bit more reliability. And so I don't, I don't want to see him necessarily <laughs> with an ID card in his mouth. But again, I, I just think that that's, you know, it's, it's a little bit of who DK Metcalf is as a player. I think it's very appropriate that he wears that because he is kind of a man child in the way that he is just physically able to dominate. But spending time, he does play with that immaturity that is so troubling to the Seahawks. And I agree with you. I think that he did deserve a penalty against the Rams in, in that game. Uh, but again, I also think that he is a player who is so darn gifted that you have to just try to do whatever you possibly can to make sure that he does mature on his own rather than trying to push him because this is the type of a guy that we, we've seen the NFL in the past, guys who are this gifted that somebody gets too much into their personal space, kind of questions them too much, and suddenly they just fall apart. I don't get that sense with DK Metcalf. So again, I do think that he is the man child out there. There's a little bit of immaturity in his play, but at the same time, he also is arguably your most competitive player on the entire roster. And I would argue again, he's also your most physically gifted. So therefore build around him, not try to replace him. Yeah, this is a balancing act. I, again, I'm not asking DK to just suddenly just all that fire. Let's put it out. You, you just need to be stiff. It's businesses. And, you know, it's just business out here. You want to have fun. You want to be competitive. Pete Carroll pushes that more than any coach in the NFL. You just got to make sure that when it gets to a certain point that you know to take your foot off the gas pedal a little bit. And he has not figured out how to do that yet. And I think it has impacted his production some. But nonetheless, you know that DK and Tyler, they're good for 1,000 yards every season. Those two, as long as they're healthy, it's going to be a big key for them to figure out what they're going to do with the rest of the depth chart. Is it bringing back Marquise Goodwin for another season? Is it drafting somebody? I think that's a very real possibility in the first two days of the draft. Maybe D. Eskridge can still be that guy if he could just stay healthy. There are question marks. There's a lot of different dominoes that could potentially fall. But nonetheless, this is still one of the stronger position groups for the Seahawks heading into the 2023 offseason. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and streaming five days a week video form on YouTube. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, we'll continue our postseason awards on the defensive side of the football. We'll take a look at the awards that Ken Walker III and Tariq Woolen are reeling in from the Pro Football Writers Association and much more. 